Hello, this is Elizabeth Mower, president of BEI. And I'm John Brown, the founder of BEI. Each episode, we take you into the world of exit planning, sharing the stories, struggles, and opportunities of business owners and their advisors. Well, today I welcome Kevin Short with us on our podcast, Why We Plan. Kevin, welcome. Thanks, John. Glad to be here. Kevin is a, an investment banker. He is the main, he's the principal investment banker with Clayton Capital Partners. Uh, they're located in the beautiful city of St. Louis, Missouri, but he they have a national practice. They represent primarily sell-side owners all around uh, North America. Kevin has worked with uh, BEI and dozens of our members for Kevin. It seems like 15 years. I don't yeah, know. That long. That's correct. Uh, just a long time. So he is very familiar with what business owners need to do to prepare themselves for a third-party sale. He helps our members and he helps our members, business owners in that whole area. So Kevin, I thought I'd just start that uh, our conversation off with what does that pre-sale or planning process, or as you call it, pre-sale due diligence uh, involving an investment banker. What what do you do in that process? And why is it so important to owners before they go to market? John, uh, there's more and more data coming out now that we're coming out of COVID. Uh, the deal data is coming out that um, we're still hitting same percentages uh, nationally of, of getting to LOI. But getting the LOI to close uh, is not nearly as good as the percentage of getting an LOI. Wow. Too, many, too many of the LOIs are being set aside. They never complete uh, because uh, primarily the buyers today are private equity. And private equity does an incredibly thorough job of due diligence, turning over every rock. So we've seen it ourselves with our own deals. Uh, we've seen the there's things that have come up at the 11th hour, literally a day or two before closing or a week or two. And we learned something that we did not even realize. So I would prompt your members to uh, really encourage your their clients to be um, forthcoming with them. Tell them everything and let them decide what's relevant. We've had clients not tell us about uh, subsidiaries or divisions and they didn't show up in tax returns. So we didn't know that till the very end because the buyers find them. Uh, we've had people, I tell the story often, uh, every private equity group runs a background check on the principles of the seller. And we had one a few years ago that the uh, seller, who our clients, told us there was no issues with their management team. Background checks will be a breeze. Two weeks before closing, I said, all right, it's time to do the background checks. I need everybody's social security numbers. And there was this long pause. He said, did I ever tell you about my brother-in-law, Mike? And I thought, mm, no. I said, what do you mean? I know Mike, he's your operations manager, kind of. He said, well, Mike was convicted of second-degree murder in Chicago in 1994. And I said, hmm, let me think about that, see if I, if I forgot that. Nope, I've checked. I didn't forget that. I would have remembered that because Mike and I kind of went round and round a few times over fees. 
So I probably would have handled that discussion differently if I knew that uh, he was capable of that. So we had a retirement party the next day for Mike. And so Mike was no longer part of the team. Uh, he was enough of an owner that he walked out with enough money. But there's a great example. You know, we were seven, eight months into the engagement before he, he saw fit to tell me that. Uh, it could have been a disaster. Uh, buyers won't put up with that today. Um, we, we were on a phone call yesterday with a, a, a trucking company worth $150 million. And um, it kind of came out in the conversation that uh, they own part of a, a WBE, a woman-owned business that is their biggest customer. Well, they never had mentioned that in our previous discussions. And that's a major issue because the buyer can't buy that customer, can't buy that entity because the buyers aren't going to be WBEs or MBEs. Uh, the only exception to that rule is if a buyer is an SPIC, they can they can buy uh, minority-owned companies. Um, so th this, this came out by accident. And we have a questionnaire to capture all that, but the sellers, I don't think, always were forthcoming with their answers. So we're going to have to fix that with some kind of a workaround. But almost every deal, John, has something at the end that um, affects the speed of the deal. We had a client that hadn't paid sales taxes for 14 years in every state, had delayed us eight months till that all got cleared up. Um, you know, I just sit there holding my breath those last two weeks because there's always going to be something that seems like to pop up. And we've seen a lot. Um, and that's part of our job is to stay calm, keep the client calm, keep the buyer calm, particularly so that they work through the solution and close. So it's a big deal. Your, your, your members are in a perfect position to really mitigate that issue so that it gets taken care of up front before they go to market. Excellent, excellent. And I know you do also um, for advisors, a market value analysis, um, which I think is unusual in, in the investment banking world. Maybe it's not, but it seems like it's such a good idea. Uh, yeah, it's got several, several purposes, John. Um, so when a client comes to see us, we're going to collect enough data quickly after non-disclosures are given to the client or prospect. And we're going to do our own range of value, our own opinion of what we think the price will be. Um, today, generally, you start at about six multiple, and you can go all the way up to 10 or 12, depending on all the other factors. But I need to get that number in front of the advisor and the client to see if they agree with our range. Because um, if they don't, we need to do some more digging to find out why we're not aligned. We need to be aligned on value. Second purpose is if we agree on the value range, then I'm going to use that to build the fee structure. Uh, if we agree the minimum fee, I'm sorry, the minimum sale price is $50 million, for example, then our fee up to that $50 million will be less. And if the proceeds go over 50, our percentage on the 50 is still less, but the percentage on the next 10 million will be more and the next 10 million even more on the increments only. So it's there as a baseline to help design a smart uh, fee. So when you, that, I mean, that's also valuable for the business owner 
and the planning advisors, well, if, if we sell the business within this range of value and after we've paid all the taxes and other expenses, is there gonna be enough money left for the owner to be able to live the lifestyle he or she envisions post sale? And so we can get that done before we really spend a lot of time and effort and money on beginning the sale process. Because once the sale process is triggered, um, investment bankers and deal attorneys start charging money. You do, and you don't want to get down that road. It's, it's, a, it's a very intense process. You don't want to have a busted deal. Um, sometimes the client says, your range of value is too low. I want X, you're saying eight is the top of the range. I want 10 and we'll go back to the drawing board and look at it and see if it's a candidate for an outrageous price uh, result, uh, which you've heard us talk about and write about quite a bit. Um, what that means is uh, we'll still do the auction process, John, but we're also gonna launch a process to look for that one or two uh, buyers that are the fit is so perfect, they don't care what they pay within reason. So paying a 10 for them is a non-issue. We've done a number of those kind of deals because they're gonna make so much money with the fit of the acquisition, they can rationalize a higher price. Interesting, yeah. Um, Kevin, what would you recommend business owners do first if they're thinking of selling to a third party? Any thoughts on who they should talk to what type of information they should be prepared to make available to you and to other advisors? I think first stop is their exit planner. And the exit planner does their normal workup to see what are the issues to be, what's the low hanging fruit to address? Mm -hmm. Is there a management team problem? Um, is there a customer concentration issue? Are the books and records up to stuff? Um, anything like that. Our clients often ignore it. Uh, accounting is becoming a bigger and bigger issue. As the prices that we get go up, the buyers are more pointed in their due diligence. And so we have a client right now, very good deal, very good company, but they didn't think it was relevant to close the books completely every month. And so their WIP calculations were estimates. Well, it makes it impossible to do a trailing 12 calculation. And when you're at market, the buyers wanna know how, are, I know what you did in 20, how are you doing now today through the end of June 21? Well, if I don't have good closes through all of 20 and 21, I can't tell them. I can give them some out of context numbers like sales, but I don't know what has happened to cost of goods. So they've had to bring in somebody and they're up to about $75,000 in their accounting firm fees to, to correct all that. So we see that a lot. And they didn't see it was relevant because at the end of the year, they fixed it. And that's why they paid your taxes. And that is, that is not you know the rule that we go by. The books have got to be up to snuff all the time before you go to market. So the exit planner can do that. Um, I think the second stop is with us. Uh, to, we have probably have done deals in their sector. We'll tell, we'll tell them if we haven't, we'll do research. We'll tell them how many deals are being done, who, who the types of buyers 
what are the multiples, so they, they can begin to get a sense if this is a good deal for your, their client or not. Um, next stop is typically going to be a tax, particularly this year. Uh, you need the uh, tax accountant. You, first of all, you need a, an excellent M&A tax accountant. You also need an excellent M&A tax, uh, M&A attorney. You don't want somebody that's been doing their trust and wills. Um, and you want to find out how the tax, new tax, potential tax changes are going to affect them. You know, there's, there's talk about retroactively going back to April 23rd, I think, with these changes in capital gains. Well, that's going to be devastating to our clients. Um, hopefully there's enough pushback on that. But I, I would, if I'm the seller, I'd want to get the accountant or the exit planner, I'd want the uh, accountant to run the numbers as if the new tax changes go into effect as suggested. And if they don't, what, what are the differences in the tax hit that they could change dramatically how we go to market? It may dictate that we only do a um, capital gains stock deal. And even that's going to be hurt, but it's still a whole lot better than ordinary income rates. Yeah. Yeah. So those, are, those are the, the first stops you've got to, to hit. But uh, you've got to, they, that management team has got to be great because the buyer assumes that seller CEO is going to go away. Yeah. 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 Excellent. So, one, uh, I'm going to back up for just a second and, and maybe uh, kind of conclude our conversation today with. Uh, going down market now to where 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 do investment bankers start to be interested in representing a business in terms of I guess cash flow EBITDA business value and if it's too small for an investment banking firm uh, what is the world of business brokerage like like is that an option for owners to use a business broker this might be where the exit planner really earns their fee is right in the middle of this conversation. Um, the investment bankers will, will go down to about a million dollars of EBITDA. Two million is generally the floor, but they can go to a million. And really what that's saying is that will allow them to earn a fee that's um, acceptable to them. The business brokers work below that. Um, and You've heard me talk to your members before. The business brokerage community is mostly made up of ex-real estate brokers who think that they can sell a house or a building, they can sell a business and nothing could be further from the truth. So I always start from the fact that the business brokers are probably not any good and they can do a lot of damage by letting it get out to the, they don't know how to, manage confidentiality. They don't know how to manage an auction. They don't know how to create value. So it can, it can, it can be a lot of damage. So the, business, the, the exit planner needs to do their thorough homework in their community and find the one or two uh, business brokers that are good. Major metros have a handful of them that are good. Um, St. Louis, we have 25 of them in the phone book and I would refer you to them. The others I would pretty strongly suggest you not go there. Um, so many of them are used to doing bars and restaurants. So it, it could do a lot of damage to the business, but it's an incredibly needed service. You know, most of the businesses are gonna be 
in that price range in yeah. the U.S. The vast majority. Yeah, they they need a solution. Yeah, and the solution may be not to sell to a third party, instead to work on your management team and and develop all the value drivers that we talk about, and maybe even eventually sell to a management team or a child rather than a third party. If if you're not going to be able to get the amount of money you need uh, yeah. through such a business, strategy is going to be important because if they've got the right advisors, the, the, the exit planner has the right advisors. You know, if they came to me, I'd say, all right, you're not big enough to sell. You don't have business brokers in your community. Let's talk about how do we bulk you up? How do we maybe JV you with a bigger player, partner you with a bigger player that has uh, intentions to sell in a few years. So trying to get you at a, on a large enough platform, not necessarily sell, more or less merge so that when that combination sells, you're going to get a good multiple because you've got enough bulk in the deal. That's another way to solve that without overcomplicating it. That's a good idea. Very good idea. We may need to have another conversation on that. <laughs> well, Kevin, yeah. it's been wonderful, as usual, having our discussion. Thank you, John. As usual, I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Join us for our next episode. For more content like this, please visit exitplanning.com. As an advisor, you have the technical skills to assist business owners in exit planning. However, few advisors know how to package the process and use it to drive the demand for their service. Learn how when you attend an upcoming bootcamp workshop. Visit exitplanning.com forward slash bootcamp to see the latest schedule and to register. That's exitplanning.com forward slash bootcamp. Don't miss the opportunity to take advantage of all exit planning can offer and to set yourself apart from the competition.